Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan. I'm joined by Jared Hallis, and we're going to talk about everything that we've missed over the last month as we took a little winter break uh, with the dead period of football, the holidays, and then the new year. And uh, a lot's happened, I guess, since the last time we've uh, talked to y'all. We've got a new defensive line coach to cover at Georgia Tech, a new safeties coach, but more importantly, a new defensive coordinator, Nate Woody. Um, Kind of a a crazy time there, and then basketball season has been in full swing as well, and we'll touch upon that as well. Jared, kind of what's going on, man? Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's been, it's been a busy offseason already. I mean, we're only in, in January. So as far as football goes, I mean, it's been exciting. You know, we've got, as you said, we have three new additions to the to the staff all on the defensive side. So that's definitely that's definitely something, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, something that you have to be excited about because, I mean, by far the biggest issue go, going into the offseason was the defense and, and more specifically coaching on the defensive side. So, I mean – of course, you don't know until we actually see the product on the field. However, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I think that um, people are going to get kind of what maybe more of what they expected, I guess, from Paul Johnson in terms of being aggressive defensively as well. Uh, Nate Woody's got kind of, I don't want to use the word simple, but um, it, it's not Ted Roof where you feel like you have an offensive coordinator tinkering. Um, Nate Woody's much more to the bones, to the basic, uh, mm-hmm. making his guys make plays, have fun out there. I think that's kind of an encouraging thing. There hasn't been a lot of fun on the defensive side for Georgia Tech over the last uh, few years, and I think that that's something they need to get back to. That was really the key to their success in 2014. Creating turnovers, cause, wreaking some havoc, and I think that's what they're going to try to do with Nate Woody, and I think that his personality fits well with Coach Johnson. Everyone seems to like him that I've talked to, that's spending time with him, interacting on a day-to-day basis. So hopefully that carries over to the players, and if the players are happy, I think um, everyone will, will kind of reap the benefits of this in terms of a Georgia Tech program that needs – to kind of uh, reestablish themselves as a consistent product on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you mentioned it, uh, and I think it was this week's mailbag. The defensive side of the ball, I mean, we've gotten some – Georgia Tech's got some solid recruits on that side of the ball, but you haven't really been able to see them shine. And, and with Nate Woody's system, like you said, it, it gives them a, a better opportunity to, you know, kind of run around and make plays and kind of show off their, their highly rated skills. Yeah, I think that that when you look at kind of that group of players that, um, you know, that's where, where the kind of elite NFL talent is on the roster right now. It's on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's an opportunity where Georgia Tech can kind of level up a little bit. They can get more out of those guys. Let's face it, they, they have underperformed on defense the last few years. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I think that um, you've got to – step your game up and that's what Paul Johnson wants that's why he made a change he saw that it was not working they were not playing as well as he would like on that side of the ball so he he made a change there hasn't made any changes on the other side of the ball yet his argument will be I'm sure that they've been pretty prolific at scoring uh, really up until the last two games of the season and really if you look at the way the season went last year they're winning the fourth quarter of every game and 
there's a, a certain method to all of this. When you are not confident about your defense's ability to get off the field, it's going to cause the offense to press, and it's going to cause problems in the second half of games. And I think you saw that a lot this past year where they struggled at times to close games, and that's what kept them out of a bowl game, kept them from probably playing for an ACC championship this year. It was simply closing games out. I mean, I think once you, you do those things, uh, you avoid a situation like Duke, and they ran it into a juggernaut with uh, UGA. So uh, to me, if this guy can can deliver and uh, be a good coach, uh, I think that even with an average to slightly above average defense, Georgia Tech is a team that will win eight to ten games a year with the schedule, even playing Clemson and Georgia every year. Absolutely, and a lot of people may argue that fact because a lot of people want to blame, you know, Paul Johnson's system and Paul Johnson, uh, the triple option and, and that offense. But in my opinion, I mean, I, I don't feel like the offense is the issue. I, I mean, I truly don't even know where the argument could come from. I mean, the, you score points. It's just there's, like you said, I mean, the, the, the scoring before the end of the half, scoring right before the end of the game, stuff like that. It, that that shouldn't happen anymore under really any other defensive coordinator. So I, I feel like they're in a really good position, and hopefully we'll be able to see some stuff at, or coming up this spring, and we'll just see what happens. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that can be accomplished uh, in terms of you know, making making strides, making improvements, making big plays. There's a lot of talent, a lot of kind of tweener guys that will be very interesting to watch kind of see who fills those linebacker spots, what direction they go in there. Do you see guys like Caleb Oliver, Tariq Carpenter, Avery Showell, uh, Jalen Johnson, do they play linebacker, do they play safety? Um, does he move some of the corner guys over to safety to backfill there? There's a few guys like Trey Swilling and, um, uh, you know, Lamont Simmons maybe even that may be better suited to play in different spots. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what all happens with these guys. And everyone's kind of starting from an, an even keel in terms of uh, Coach Woody's expectations. So that may you may see some guys who've been in the doghouse or have not played a ton get new mm-hmm. opportunities and be engaged by this move as well. How do you feel about – I know you mentioned it briefly in the mailbag, but is there any players that you feel could be, you know, like – Re-energized by the go whole into thing? the doghouse. And, yeah, well, well, that and also players that were playing and maybe might not get as much time under Nate Woody's system. So I mean, really, the only guys who are hurt, and I touched on this. To me, maybe a guy like David Curry, um, who's kind of a tweener, he's going to suddenly be flushed with other guys who are a little more athletically gifted than him, um, such as, uh, you know. Uh, Caleb Oliver, right, or Jalen Johnson or Jaquan Henderson, and you're competing maybe for playing time at the same spot with guys who have a real athletic edge on you. Um, He's really the one guy I see right now that I'm kind of like I don't necessarily see where he fits in. But the kid's a gamer, and he may end up being able to to use his abilities to and his knowledge of the game to kind of overcome some of that. Another, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, the guys who benefit, um, you know, Bruce Jordan Swilling. Um, I think there's a lot of different possibilities there you could do with him. I think that, 
even a guy who's been in the doghouse who could have a renaissance in this whole thing is Tyler Merriweather. Who's yeah, been, big you know, guy. Yeah, undersized defensive lineman, um, athletic. He could definitely be an outside rusher, uh, stand-up mm-hmm. rush, pass rush guy. Um, I think two guys who really benefit a lot, actually, are Brentavious Clanton and Desmond Branch because they're going to get to play in, which is probably where they should have been playing all along. Right. In terms of their body types, and they will get an opportunity to probably make more plays than they make at defensive tackle. So those are a couple guys I see uh, maybe having, uh, you know, an opportunity to break out a little bit. What about uh, some other interesting things that have gone on since we've been gone, the schedule being released? How do you, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's a lot better than, than we've gotten in the past years as far as getting, you know, quote, screwed by the ACC. I, I don't really, of course, playing Virginia Tech on, Thursday statistically historically isn't really hasn't gone in the favor of Georgia Tech. However, there's some other things that that happened on the schedule that you know could also benefit Georgia Tech. So, how do you feel about that? Uh, you know, the toughest part to me is really the first is going to be the games two, three, and four. You go on the road to play at USF, then you go at Pitt, and then you have to come back here and play Clemson. I think that's a pretty rough little stretch there. Yeah, USF reminds me a lot of, like, Central Florida last year in that situation because we don't really – I mean, at that time, we didn't really know how good Central Florida was, and I feel the same about USF. I mean, they had a good ending to their season, of course. Is that quarterback going to be there again next season? No. Uh, fortunately for Georgia Tech, they lose a lot. They're losing their quarterback, both their top two running backs who are sort of NFL-level guys. They lose their number one wide receiver, um, and – their top two offensive linemen, and then on defense they lose like both defensive tackles, their best defensive end, their best linebacker, and then wow. a couple of DBs. So yeah, and their kicker. So wow. they have a lot of problems. They're terrible on special teams. The kicker thing's a big deal. They lost the UCF game because they gave up a kick return for a touchdown. Um, they had them on the ropes. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a rebuild. Uh, special teams is worse than Tech. It is. By far, um, having watched both teams very closely, they make Georgia Tech look proficient at special teams. <laughs> um, they had multiple punts blocked, uh, multiple kicks blocked, missed field easy field goals, kick returns for touchdowns. Their punt return and kick return was terrible, just like Georgia Tech. Um, so yeah, I mean, their their fans turned quick more quickly than even Georgia Tech did on the special teams coaches. So. Uh, yeah, and then the back end of Georgia Tech schedule, um, you get the trip to Lane Stadium at night on Thursday. That's a tough game always. Uh, you go to up to Carolina the week after, and then you play Miami, Virginia, and Georgia at, at Georgia. So, I mean, it's a tough schedule, but it's a tough league. I mean, you can't complain when you're playing the guys in your league. I think they actually catch a break playing Louisville this year. Louisville is uh, – um, to me, is going to take a huge step backwards. I think that so much of what they did was relying upon Lamar Jackson's physical gifts that, uh, yeah. you know, he didn't have a lot around him, and I watched them play quite a few times this past year, and I think that the that that's going to be an easier game. I think they'll flip the script on Duke. Um, you know, the game at Pitt's interesting to me, so one, two, four, four... Carolina's going to be bad. It's probably five, Virginia six. So I got six straight up that I look at as W's right now, and then 
two games that I think they probably lose, which would be Clemson and Georgia, maybe. And I think they lose two or three to Clemson, Georgia, and Miami, right? And then the, maybe yeah. they eke one of those out. Yeah. So then you have, you know, the, the, the real games that should be the deciders in the season are the trip is the trip to Blacksburg, the trip to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing at Louisville. Those are the ones that you kind of are going to have to figure out and win. And that's where it comes down to defense and, and offense, you know, making plays and kind of seeing what happens from there. I think that, uh, I'm encouraged by, by what I think they can accomplish next year. I'm encouraged by what I saw last year in a rough year. I think they were close. And I think that, um, the opportunity for them to win games is, is there. You just got to do it and it'll get people back on, you know, coach Johnson's side. I think a lot of people are kind of upset right now. They don't enjoy the up and down, um, Trajectory, and I think a lot of this too is fueled by seeing teams like Clemson and Georgia have so much success. But it's so different um, when you compare those two schools to Georgia Tech that it's laughable to me when and people try to make that argument about, well, you know, Georgia Tech should do X, Y, and Z because Georgia's doing all this stuff. The day that Georgia Tech draws eighty-six thousand fans in their stadium, like Clemson does, or ninety or whatever, like Georgia. Yep. then you can start expecting to have those type of seasons because Georgia Tech is the only school that has a, won a national championship uh, since, I think, 84 or something like that with a CD stadium that is not 60,000 seats or better. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. I think it's like 85,000 seats or better or something like that. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty brutal stat. Like So put that in perspective – Seats and people in the seats equal money. Money equals success, basically, uh, in a lot of ways um, with football. I mean, think about, you think about it this way. Georgia spent a fortune on football over the last 25 years, right? And it took them until now to get a shot at playing yeah. for a championship. So... You know, the folks that are crying, expecting to have 1990 and stuff, those things are few and far between, and they're very how – many, how many of Georgia Tech's contemporaries have been even close to a situation where they've been in the playoffs? I mean, we're talking about North Carolina, Virginia, um, Duke, you know. like <laughs> Those are the schools, Pitt, that Georgia Tech is a lot more like than Florida State, Clemson, or even Miami. Yeah. Because think about Miami and Florida State, how many national championships do those guys have in the last 40 years? A hell of a lot. Like, yeah, definitely. It's not, a comparab- it's not a comparison that you can make. And Clemson did the thing that you got to do, and they went out and spent money, and they threw a fortune at coordinators and invested in their infrastructure, and they have a lot of fans to begin with, and that's led to them being successful. And you got to decide, like, They've Georgia Tech's r- rode this line forever between being a basketball school and a football school, and you can't. You can be both, but it's a lot harder than I think people realize. Absolutely, and, but I, I do feel that they are taking steps in the right direction. And of course, it's been positive lately. You know, hearing about all the donations being made to the to the to this program and basketball and football, just to the athletic department. In, in general, and then 
you know, with the with the locker room stuff going now. I mean, I, I do feel like they're taking steps in the right direction. Well, and Todd Stansberry understands everything that I just said. He realizes that you can be Stanford, um, you could be, you know, a program that competes in a high level that's not a factory, which is what George George Tech's never going to be a factory. There's no place to put student athletes. The academic arm of Georgia Tech would never sign off on that. Neither would the Board of Regents in the state of Georgia, who are made up of mostly bulldogs. They're, they would never go for relaxing that either. So I think that um, you have to pick your battles, and then occasionally you may find your way into the playoff or be on the edge of it. TCU's a school that's kind of bounced around the edge of that a little bit over the last few years, Baylor. Um, so there's some opportunities there. You just have to pick your moments. I think obviously in, in 2009 they were pretty damn close, um, and – 2014, they were pretty damn close to being in. I was going to bring that up as well. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you're close. Away, really? Yeah. So, like, if you can get over those little humps, and, you know, it could just be that having a, a pretty good defensive coordinator can make that difference with Paul Johnson, or you have to lay in the long-term infrastructure, which is what Todd Stansberry is trying to do. Todd Stansberry's looking at what Paul Johnson needs, but he's also looking at what this program needs to be viable the day that Paul Johnson leaves Georgia Tech, however that happens. And you have to have things in place like recruiting offices and and infrastructure and a renovated edge center and a renovated locker. Those are the things that are going to allow you to hire the type of guy who can be successful and have you competing for ACC championships, which is what the end game is here. It's not – it's not you're not going to uh to end up um you know getting trying to aim for the playoffs isn't the way to go you got to aim to win your conference and once you accomplish that the playoffs should fall into your lap if you if you do that it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure i mean you were talking about you know being powerhouses on both football and basketball so i guess if the, have we touched on everything football wise yeah i think so i think it's a good time to kind of flip gears and and let's talk about basketball a little bit um i you know i think that it was a brutal non-conference schedule when we looked at it at the beginning of the year before the ncaa stuff before kogi gets hurt you know we looked at it and it's like well crap they should win all but maybe two of these games yep and the reality is that did not happen (laughs) um what did they finish nine and seven was that right um when they were ten and seven at one point, so yeah, they were nine and seven. Um, going into the the non or uh, let's see, what were they? Oh, look it up here. They were going they started into out four and one. Went they to were four six and, and six at the end of non conference play. Okay, okay, yeah, they're ten and nine right now after two straight losses. So yeah, they were nine and seven at one point, ten and seven. So I mean, it hasn't been terrible, and I mean, ACC play hasn't been bad. But last time we talked was in December. It was December thirteenth last time we recorded a podcast, and that was that was right before the I think it was after the Wofford game. It was right before we played Florida A and M. So yeah, got got to win against Florida A and M. Get your butt kicked by Georgia. Lose to Wright State right afterwards, and I feel like after that game was kind of when things started. You know, to after that game was when things started to look up because then you had Okogie 
you know, and, and Ben Lambert's played really well against Coppin State. Of course, Coppin State wasn't any kind of incredible team, but they were able to come back. And I know they were down with like five minutes to go, but they were able to come back and win by double digits in that game. And then, you know, played a close game against Notre Dame. And then, you know, that that's post-Christmas. That's what you hear Josh Passion talk about all the time, post-Christmas, post-Christmas. So he had he had the, loss, the close loss against Notre Dame on like the 20th or the 30th, I think. And then you beat Miami, you beat Yale, you beat Notre Dame, uh, and you beat Pitt. So that's four straight wins. And then you have Virginia and Notre Dame, number two team in the country and the defending national championships – and you lose, or defending national champions, you lose both of those games, and now people are acting like things are hitting the fan. Yeah, and, and you know they'll go down to Florida State. That'll be a tough game, and they play Clemson. That's also going to be a tough game this week. So you you know this is the nature of the beast. You're not going to go uh, 18 and 0. No one is in the ACC. Hmm. I mean, maybe Duke. Let's see. Uh, well, no, Duke already has two losses too in the conference this year. Yeah, nobody's nobody's going. It's it, no one's running the table. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, maybe Virginia. Virginia is pretty damn good, but like, yeah. um, but even in that game, Georgia Tech, they they had their opportunities. You know, Virginia is an incredible defensive team, and even offensively, they played very well in the second half. However, I mean, eighteen turnovers. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. If you have eighteen turnovers, you're you were probably not going to win that game. So doing that against the probably arguably the best team in the country right now, and, and Still, you know, it, it wasn't an embarrassing loss, if you ask me. What was it, 14 or 16 points? It was, um, they lost by 16, yeah. But yeah. it got away at the end. I mean, they were... Yeah. You and know. you have the, the four-point play at the end of the, the first half, which, I mean, completely swung the momentum for Virginia. It would have been a Yeah, it was a classic yeah. Abdul Gay play. Uh, yeah, point... <laughs> They have seven seconds left or something like that. They go the length of the court. The game, it's a five-point game, and mm-hmm. they pass to the corner. Or they pass inside. AD doubles, which he shouldn't have done. They kick it out, and his guy's wide open for a three, and he murders him, basically. Yep. Uh, I mean, it was not even close <laughs> to not being called a foul. It, yeah, it looked like a tackle, honestly. Yeah, it was, it, it was brutal, and it killed the entire momentum of the game, and you go down now, and... You're down nine out of the half. Virginia gets the ball out of the half, so you're really up against it. They, you know, force a stop on the first thing on the first ba- attempt at a basket. Then Virginia gets an offensive rebound, hits a three, and mm-hmm. I mean you're, you're out of it right then. Like I mean, that's pretty much ball game. You get a double digit deficit to a, a team that's as strong defensively as Virginia. I mean, you're, it's going to take the, your best basketball to, to make it. A- Unfortunately, with 18 turnovers, that's just not your best basket. No, and, I mean, you look at the way Virginia's played people all year, it's kind of been like that. They were losing to Wake Forest Sunday night, and um, or Sunday, yeah, I guess Sunday night, and came back and won the game by 10. I mean, they were down within, like, two minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's just the way they see is right now, and I think that um, – you know. By the way, if you want to watch a good game, uh, I think it's sat- yeah Saturday at two p.m. on CBS is uh, Virginia at Duke. So Ooh, that'll it's be really fun. a very clash of styles. Um, in terms, Duke's try to score and rebound and push the ball, and you have Virginia who is very methodical. So that should be an entertaining game. But 
Yeah, I mean, talk about what's going on with the basketball team. You, you know, I think the best thing that's happening right now, to be perfectly honest, is uh, that basically you have Josh Okogi has played himself out of the draft. So he's going to have to come yeah. back and have, a, have back. another year. And next year we'll have a team with AD at center, probably Moses Wright or Christian Soljan or or whoever playing power forward. Okogi, <clears throat> Curtis Haywood, Jose Alvarado, and then Mike DeVoe and Shambari Phillips coming off the bench. Um, that That's a pretty good team. Like – yeah, uh, that, I mean, that's going to be seven. That's a solid seven players. They could be a top five team if you can get some kind of post play. Hey, absolutely, I, th- I feel like something that has a lot of Tech fans concerned with the last two games is the the non productivity of, of of Okogie and Lammers. And talking to Passion today, he finally admitted that you know Lammers and, and Okogie were getting too much playing time, and obviously not getting enough rest. And so I feel like that's a good thing. I mean, he, the way AD's been playing now, he, he feels more comfortable giving Lammers a little bit more rest. And, and I, I don't know who we – I mean, yeah, Brandon Austin and, and Tadrick Jackson who can, you know, they won't play terribly while Kogi's on the bench. So, I mean, it, it's it's good that, that that's being recognized and that they're going to get some more rest in the future. And hopefully when they are on the court, they'll be able to be as productive as we're all used to and all hopeful for. So, I mean, that was a good thing for me to hear today. And I, I feel like – Really, anybody would be happy hearing about that. And but, like you said, it is good that that Okogi's you know kind of played himself out of the draft because him coming back next year would be huge. Yeah, it changes the entire dynamic of the team because really going into the season, people were expecting him to be basically a top twenty player, which would mean he would go in the draft, and he's fallen off of every draft board. So he would have to play out of his mind in the last uh, what are they the three and three? So the last two thirds of the ACC schedule and into the whatever happens beyond that. And really when you look at kind of what the future schedule is here, you play, hope to split this week with Florida state and Clemson, to be honest, you hope you can split those. You get Cuse and at BC next week, um, both winnable games. Mm -hmm. You play at Louisville. That's a winnable game, but it will be tough. You get Duke here, which is probably gonna be a loss. You get play at wake forest, which is a toss up game. Probably. You play Virginia Tech, which is a toss-up. You play at Virginia, which is probably a loss. You play at Clemson, which is going to be a hard game. NC State is probably a win. And you get Wake at here as a win. So you're looking at maybe, you know, uh, let's say six. Let's say they go nine and nine in ACC. Even that, I mean, that's good enough to get you an IT bid, I feel like. Yeah, because they'd probably get a win in the tournament. So that gets you to 17, 18 wins. That probably gets you in the NIT. But, yeah, the idea that they're going to go to the tournament, they, they'll have to upset a crap ton of teams to get yeah. into the tournament, or they'd have to win the ACC tournament. A win against Virginia or North Carolina, I feel like, was was huge in, in that, and the fact that they weren't able to pull either of those out. It doesn't completely diminish any hopes of making the tournament, however it does. I mean, it's got it's going to be a long road ahead if you're going to make the tournament. I mean, you're going to have to beat – you're gonna have to, you know, beat Virginia at home, or beat or, or Virginia at Virginia. I mean, or, or beat Duke at home, or something like that. I, I don't see any other way you could do it. No, and they they definitely drew a short straw with Carolina. Carolina got all the breaks in terms of the ref. Uh, 
you know, I'm not one to get into that stuff, but you had Teddy Valentine calling his first game since the whole thing with Joel Berry. Mm-hmm. And Joel Berry shoots like 10 free throws in the game, which is kind of crazy for him. And it just seemed like the whole thing was a, a mess. So, uh, my, you know, that sucks. That was a game that was a very winnable game, much more even so than the Virginia game. And they let it kind of slip away from them. They kind of went stagnant on offense and mm-hmm. made some bonehead plays. And so you go play a really athletic Florida State team this week. You play a Clemson team that has had your number um, a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know how real Clemson is. That's a whole other sort of question right now facing, I think, a lot of people. It's like, you know, what do you do with um, with Clemson? Because – you know, really, they've their big win is they beat Miami. Right, same win as Tech. But then they lost literally almost the same way to North Carolina, at North Carolina. And they've both beaten Notre Dame. So, I, I you know, I don't want you to make out of it. They edged out, Clemson edged out Florida in a college basketball classic uh, in December. But mm-hmm. other than that, they really have not played anybody all year. So... They're to me a little bit of this team. I'm I'm very curious to see what they really are um, right now. I think they're riding a little bit on the uh, the backs of the the ACC strength versus what they've actually accomplished on the court. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they really haven't played anybody. Their best win against the the same team that probably is Tech's best win. They haven't really played anybody outside of that. So I think that'll be a good game. The fact that it's – oh, it actually is a Tekken. I, they were talking today. That's the game where I think it's already sold out because you have, you know, the first 2,000 fans get Chris Bosh jerseys, and I think he's going to be there. So, that's I mean, cool. that's that's obviously an incentive to go to the game, and, and it'll be a good atmosphere. So that, that'll be a good opportunity to get a really good win. So let's uh, turn the page now. We've kind of killed the basketball a little bit here. Let's uh, see if there's any questions in the old hopper. You got anything uh, right now? Let me check it out. Podcast questions, sir. Okay, we've got. Hang on. We've got. Bowden Rambler asked. He said he went back and watched some of Appalachian State to get an idea of what is defense versus better talent. So he wants you to talk about some of the differences and how fast you think the learning curve will be to see results on the field. Um, you know, to be honest, I think that, um, it's not that great. What they're doing isn't that different than it's not, they're not running. See, everyone keeps thinking they're going to run Al Groves three, four defense. And that's not what they're doing at all. This is a very simple kind of different thing. You have, you basically have like kind of a stand up end instead of a rush end. So if it was last year, be Keyshawn Freeman would be standing up playing outside backer. And really, actually, the way they'd play it, the um, way he would want to play it, is if they had had Antonio Simmons again, they would have both him and Keyshawn standing up on the outside. Um, you have two guys on the outside that you feel like can rush the passer. Uh, in my opinion, it will probably be Henri and Jaquan Henderson, who would be my guess as of today. And those guys pinch your, your defensive linemen slant and slash. So they're attacking angles between guard and center, and instead of trying to go one-on-one, Grow basically had the defensive lineman smash the guy in front of him. 
and then the linebackers came in and cleaned up the holes. That doesn't really work that well when you're not you don't have Terrence Cody playing defense nose tackle yeah. <laughs> or you know, you need like three guys who are three hundred something pounds, you need a three hundred and forty pound nose tackle, which is there's a guy named Ted Washington, you can Google him. He played for like twenty years in the NFL because he was the one guy who could do that technique basically really well uh, at nose and that kind of defense. And he was a big 350-pound guy. Um, so that's not what they're doing at all. What they're doing is you have basically the guys who are your three technique D tackles, which would be um, Desmond Branch and Brentavious Glanton. Um, they will play your ends probably. And then a guy like Brandon Adams or Kyle Serge Henderson will be your nose. And <clears throat> they attack the ball, and they attack those gaps. And when they do that, it should force the situation where you don't get the quarterback <clears throat> excuse me, stepping up into the, into the middle of the pocket, right, and scrambling, which is something that happened a lot with Ted Roof's defense. Mm-hmm. They'd show a blitz. Ted would show a blitz. Guys would come up in those holes. And then the quarterback would dance around into the open hole. There shouldn't be one. There shouldn't be an open space. Um, the linebackers will come and fill the tackle guard spots or go to the outside. Um, so you you have some different things. It's a little. There's different blitzes. They play pretty simply though. A mixture of man cover two, uh, some quarters stuff like that. So they got all spring and they'll have someone to work with to work with Nate Woody and he'll have the same time to work with them as well so how quickly do you think you'll be able to see uh you know like uh, some results on the field I mean I think out of the box you should they should beat Alcorn State like 80 to 7 (laughs) and Alcorn State's got awful like they're really among the worst of the FCS Mm -hmm. so really what you're going to see is that second game you're going to play a tempo team at USF that likes to mix power running and deep shots, right, with uh, play action. So that's where I'm going to, you know, that's where I think you will see the big difference is how they defend there. Can they create turnovers? Um, The two guys who are vying for quarterback there, I think, are both going to be likely to turn the ball over a little bit. So there's going to be some opportunities to make some plays for Georgia Tech's defense there. And I think that – when you look kind of at the big picture of things, uh, I, I like kind of the way that the, 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 those games match up early in the year. I think um, Pitt Pitt will be really interesting as well. So you, there's going to be some good tests early, and then you play a Clemson team that that does something similar to sort of what USF does on offense. So you're going to face um, out of the box, you know, three of the four teams you face. One Alcorn State's like sort of like a glorified spring game. And then the rest of them are going to be kind of real challenges. So I think you will really get an idea for what they can do um, right out of the box. If you don't mind, um, all right, so you got Alcorn State or South Florida and Pitt before you go and play Clemson. Do you think all three of those games will be a win? And in my opinion, I feel like you should be 3-0 heading into Clemson. How do you feel about that? I think that's likely Pitt is an interesting team to me. <clears throat> they always seem to start slow and finish stronger um, for whatever reason. Um, they continue to have a lot of staff turnover. Uh, you know, they figured out their offense in the last basically four weeks of the season. 
So do they carry that over or not? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after Clemson, it's Bowling Green, Louisville, and Duke. I feel like all, all three, three of those should be ones, well. yeah. So so at that point – So you could be ranked at that point. You could be in the yeah, top 25. Six and one with a, only, only a loss to Clemson. <laughs> Heading into Virginia Tech, so, I mean that gives you an absolute fantastic opportunity to go into Virginia Tech and you know make a statement. No, and they've played them really well. Even as good as Virginia Tech is on Thursday nights, Georgia Tech has played them really well. Um, mm-hmm. There's been some heartbreaking losses there on Thursday night. Well, that's where Nesbitt broke his arm on Thursday night in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, Was that the OT loss? Uh. Bu- 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 in 2010, I feel like that was a Thursday night game. Um, in the second quarter, they're running them out of the stadium, about to score again. They call a pass, and um, Josh breaks his arm, and then Tevin comes in, and they can't hold on and win the game. Virginia Tech scores 21 points in the fourth quarter to win the game, 28-21. Um, Jeez. Was that? Yeah, it was Thursday night, yep. So that's a, you have a great opportunity to be six and one heading into that game. If you can finally get over a hump there, you know, finally, finally get a win at, in at Virginia tech, despite it being a Thursday night, you're seven and one heading into North Carolina, which is also a game that you're, you should win. So you're eight and one going against Miami who shouldn't have beat you last year. You somehow pull that out. You're nine and one with Virginia and Georgia to go. I just feel like games that, it's just like the schedule's it's not easy of course it's the ACC so you're not going to have a cakewalk however I, I sometimes I look at it and I'm like there every, every every season there's a game that they lose that they shouldn't lose but if the, if they don't do that then I just feel like there's a really realistic or not not necessarily realistic but I feel like there's a chance that they could have a, a 10 and 2 bounce back season this year with loss of Clemson and Georgia I don't think that's an unreasonable um that's my bold prediction. That's my. That's probably my hottest take up I could ever have, because I mean, obviously, after last season, that's uh, it's crazy to say. Well, However, but they always win a game they shouldn't win. Even even in 2015, when they were awful, they yeah, beat Florida close, State. Yeah. I mean, last year they uh, were in 2014. They played Virginia Tech with no Justin Thomas and no Dedrick Mills and win and no Freddie Burton. And win it's that just, game, and then and last year they beat um, Virginia Tech, who they shouldn't have beat, like on paper, anyways. If you look at it at the end of the season, so I mean, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see. Kind of, um, it, it may sound crazy, it really might. I, I realize that 100. I'm not saying that's what I expect. However, I feel like it is a possibility if they if they can play good. Well, what I would like to see have happen is. Not to lose a game in the middle of September to a hurricane. That would be nice as well. Yeah, that would definitely be nice. <clears throat> so We'll see he, if South Florida is uh, any different from Central Florida in that matter. Well, you know, they played. That was the funniest part of all of this, right? South Florida played a home game against – they were hit harder than Orlando. They played a home game Friday night, not even Saturday. They had one day of practice, one and a half days of practice, and played a game. Charlie Strong didn't send his team home, and they played the game. So uh, it sort of tells you the difference between people who have experience in those situations and those who do not. The AD at, at UCF was from Buffalo. 
Um, that was kind of his first rodeo. Scott Frost certainly not particularly experienced in the art of hurricanes. But Charlie Strong, who coached in Florida forever, knew exactly what to do. So did his AD, who's been there for a while. So they kept their team together and, and got their games in. And uh, credit to them for that. And they ended up with a, a, a pretty strong season for themselves as when, well, they won 10 games for back-to-back seasons. So. It's it, it's just it sucks that that even happened because you know it could have you could have had a bowl game could have sent the seniors out the right way but you know it, it, that's the past we're talking about the future right now so I don't even want to get started on that. <laughs> so any other questions or are we good? Uh, there was one more. He asked. He wants to know about where our basketball recruiting stands right now and who they're after. Um. Uh. Um, Someone was actually talking to Coach Passer about that today. I I couldn't overhear what they were saying, though. um, Basically, they're sort of stopped for 2018. Uh, They'll look at grad transfer, big guys. That would be the only thing. If they can get a center somehow or a five-star guy like um, the Montgomery kid at Wheeler, um, that's what they would take. Um, Um. you know, uh, other than that, um, I think that uh, they're sort of stopped there. For 2019, it's harder to sort of figure it out. You figure that Okogie's going to be gone, so you're going to start thinking about um, kind of the wing score, um, like a, a high-level wing scoring guard kind of mm-hmm. guy. Um but, so, yeah, I mean, that's right. hard to figure that out because really the 19 depends a lot on what happens um, over the next two months. Um, they're, they're still sort of kind of figuring that out. And and really, I think, honestly, to be perfectly honest, there's plenty of targets. But <clears throat> it depends on how Georgia Tech finishes the season, what goes on with Josh Passner, uh, how the resolution of the NCAA stuff with Daryl LaBerry and – Georgia Tech and mm-hmm. there's a lot of sort of mitigating factors that are that are going to keep the the basketball recruiting kind of um, in a weird spot. They've got really good players for um, 2018 signed. I think that um, DeVos got really a chance to be kind of a breakout guy. He's um, got a skill set that fits very well into the NBA game actually. He's a guy who can shoot threes, can handle the ball, can play defense. Um, he plays on a, a team with really tremendous talent at Mount Verde, so he's used to to having uh, to play without the ball all the time. I think that's really big. Khalid, Khalid Moore is really athletic, a kid from, from Queens. Um, he gives you some attitude. He, he can dunk the ball. Uh, interesting guy and then uh christian soljan from te- uh texas via norway or sweden or whatever it is um he's really interesting to me because he's kind of like got that dirk Nowitzki kind of game to he can p- post up he can shoot threes he can drive to the hole he can handle the ball at six nine um so i know josh is huge we've i've talked to him privately about christian and kind of what his thoughts are there with him and devoe and I think he's really fired up about what they have coming in going into next year. And um, it'll be interesting to see what guys leave the program. We, you know, we've talked about Justin Moore and kind of his weird situation and him not playing, but mm-hmm. 
sometimes dressing, sometimes not, uh, sometimes traveling with the team, sometimes not. And then um, it's almost like he's on the team now just to say he's on the team. Yeah, it's like, it's it's like, like he weird. knows that he won't get any playing time. Everyone knows it. However, he's he's, he's staying just to stay. And then uh, the other guy who could end up being a potential transfer out along with Moore is uh, Sylvester Obando, who just is not playing at all. And, mm-hmm. Pat, I mean, it's interesting because people keep hitting me on Twitter being like, hey, why don't <laughs> they play Vess? And I'm like, I've watched him when he's come in games the couple of times that, that he's played, and he looks terrible to me. So I, I'm not sure why you'd want to put him in the game other than in mop-up time. So... Yeah. And he's played in like two games this year, Vest. Yeah, he's he's definitely he has a guy that he played time out. He's not somebody to really watch out for. And like you said, I mean, you could see him, you could see him being part of the attrition after this year. Yeah, and they need they need scholarships because honestly, he needs ACC level guys, and those guys were fringe. I mean, Justin Moore is a guy they took a flyer on late in the class just because they needed a guard. Mm-hmm. He has really been bad offensively. Um, Kind of a but as far hole. as but as far as 2018 goes and and recruiting as of now, like you said, they're they're in a good spot. I mean, if they don't feel like they need anybody, then like fans and and we should trust that. So I no, mean, I mean Josh is fully willing to roll a scholarship over. He's talked about that before. He is not going to go sign the Travis Jorgensons and the uh, I'm trying to think of some other weird guys. Oh, Curtis Hay- Haywood who. I saw somebody I mean, ask about Haywood, uh, Corey Haywood. Him the other day. Haywood. Travis Jorgensen. Was it? Yeah, someone asked me on Twitter. He's working in Atlanta. Um, oh, okay. He just has like a regular job. He was uh, always his a tech degree. interesting player. Well, so with him, he was actually a legit guy until he blew his knee out. And, and then he blew the knee out again, like right after he got to tech. And after that, he had nothing left um, in, in the yeah. tank. But he's so. working at Atlanta, so that's cool. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to look forward to as far as basketball goes for, for 2018. Like obviously, Mike DeVoe's been getting a lot of boosted ratings as, as of late. A lot of people have been speaking very highly about him. So he's definitely a, a really exciting guy to have coming in. And like you said, with Cleve Moore, has a lot of upside too. So, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to as far as basketball goes. And on that note, I think we'll wrap things up. Any final thoughts, Sharon? Uh, um, I I don't. I think I'm good. All right, cool. Uh, well, for Jared, I'm Kelly Quinlan. We are going to wrap up this Jackets Online podcast. We will hopefully be back next week. We'll see. Because uh, <laughs> this time of year is a little bit weird because uh, of recruiting and basketball. So it just depends on kind of what's going on. But uh, if not, we'll talk to you the week after. And uh, hopefully we'll have some George Tech wins to talk about. Yes, sir. Thank you.